0: Our passage this morning is from John 8, verses 31 through 47. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why doesn't why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God.
1: Hey everyone, good morning. Thank you so much uh, for being here. Um, it's, it's really, obviously, really fun to be back here, and but also I want to offer a special welcome to those uh, who are not with us this morning for whatever reason. I am very excited that um, we can sort of do this hybrid approach for now where we're able to uh, gather together in person but also gather together online. And it was fun to see uh, in the comment section uh, when Julie was... Uh, 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 uh doing the the call to worship this morning that we still a lot of people commenting and stuff so that's super fun it's not ideal it's not perfect um but I, I i'm excited that we're able to do this in the midst of a pandemic where we're able to sort of uh try to be as safe as possible while also gathering together because uh there's a lot of value in being able to gather together both online and in person so th- so thank uh, good good to see you all this morning um, if you're watching online and, and, you, and you're, this is your first time uh, being with us at Resurrection City Church, my name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we, we meet in, in St. Paul. We're actually meeting in St. Paul here for the first time in a while. Um, and that's really, uh, really exciting. And we're glad to have all of you joining with us online who, who are here this morning. Um we have been in, in a, uh, a, a mini-series in the book of John that we're calling Devil's Advocate. Uh, we kind of are going through the book of John. We've been breaking it up into different chunks and trying to have uh, different focuses in it because John's a little bit of a longer book and it kind of helps us to uh, uh, get a sense for, for what's going on um, kind of in that part of the book and kind of keeps our focus on that. And I think that's a good way to do something that's really long so it doesn't feel, so it doesn't kind of drag on, which which can happen in a longer book of the Bible. So, so we're, we're talking in this Devil's Advocate mini-series about um, uh, objections or or pushbacks to the kingdom of God that comes in Jesus. As God takes on flesh, he manifests himself in in a human body. He comes to us to reveal to us uh, his son, who he is, his purposes for the world. Um, And and in the midst of that, there is a a kingdom that's already reigning. We talked about this kind of when we introed the series. There's a kingdom that's already reigning on earth that that is, is, is... uh, very keen on keeping its power. so it pushes back upon Jesus as He comes. And we see this in the book of John. And so what we're doing is we're we're talking about those responses or those objections, to Jesus and sort of bringing them into the present day as much as we kind of possibly can to see the ways in which that kingdom which is still in operation in the world is continuing to try to push back on Jesus even though uh, the, the victory has, has been won in principle on, in, on the cross and in the resurrection through Jesus. Now today we are going to be talking about uh, this opposition that Julia read about, which, which is this opposition of slavery to sin. Okay. Each week we've been kind of picking a certain opposition in the passage and talking about what it looks like there, what it looks like now. And today we're talking about opposition that comes in the form of slavery to sin. And Jesus says this in verse 34. You heard Julia read this earlier. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, if you've been a Christian for a long time, I'm guessing this is a a phrase you've heard before. It sounds like a very... Christiany phrase. If we're being honest, right? It sounds like something that Christians might say all the time. That like maybe doesn't mean anything at all, right? We have a lot of phrases like that that people might hear Christians use a lot. That just in their mind is like, I don't know what the heck that means. I don't even know if they know what it means, but they they say it or something. We're gonna really dive into that today, right? That that's kind of my goal is for us to really talk about what does slavery to sin uh, look like, and so. Uh, to do that, let's first talk about that word slavery. I think that's a good uh, uh, point into that. And it's one that we in America, unfortunately, know a lot about. Um, we, have a, we have a very dark and tainted uh, history with the concept of slavery. And so when Jesus brings it up, we can sort of uh, rely on what we know, what we've observed uh, through our own history as a country, about what that looks like and how terrible and awful that is and how big of a deal it is for Jesus to bring, uh, to bring that up. Now, the, the great abolitionist, Frederick Douglass, um, he, he says this. He, he was a slave himself and was set free from it and, and then kind of set himself to the work of sort of trying to free other slaves, trying to bring about abolition in the country. And he said this about slavery. I have found that to make a contented slave, it is necessary to make a thoughtless one. It is necessary to darken his moral and mental vision and as far as possible to annihilate the power of reason. He must be able to detect no inconsistencies in slavery. He must be made to feel that slavery is right and he can be brought to that only when he has ceased to be a man. All right, it's kind of terrible when we hear that, but I want to focus in on a specific thing he said there. The slave must be able to detect no inconsistencies in slavery. He must be made to feel that slavery is right. So I want you to really think about this part of the quote here. Think about what he's saying. The insidious nature of slavery is to convince the slave, the person who is in bondage unjustly, unrightly, despite the fact that they're human and they should not be someone else's property, the the insidious nature of slavery is to convince that person that slavery is actually natural, it's actually normal, and it's just the way the world is, and and you shouldn't question it. There there should be no inconsistency with that view of themselves and and, and with the view uh, as opposed to what the world should actually be uh, the, the, the goal of the slave master is to make the slave believe that freedom doesn't make sense it's not even something that is logically consistent the only thing that makes sense is slavery now if we think about slavery from maybe another a lens let's we could talk about the slavery of addiction right we, we have many people who suffer from many types of addictions in our in our nation now and this is an enslavement to drugs or, or maybe some other thing. Um, and from the addict's point of view, this is the, the part of, about addiction that is so, uh, so ridiculous, is that the addict thinks they're actually in total control. If you talk to someone who, who's in addiction, they detect no inconsistencies with their addiction. Uh, they, 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 they find that they actually think in their mind that they're just doing what they want and they're having a ton of fun. Right, this is the best the best way to live, and they could quit. They feel like they could quit any time, and they don't. They don't want to quit though. They just like I'm in control. I would. I, I know. I, I don't want to quit. I like what I'm doing. They would likely say they're having the best time of their lives. They would likely say that they're actually finally free, maybe for the first time. The irony of that statement, right? But but they feel free in many ways, and it's only when they when they're finally off drugs or off whatever thing that they are addicted to, uh, in the moment that they're finally able to sort of see clearly that they were not in control, and that actually everything that they maybe believed while they were in addiction was the opposite of the truth. And they sort of need sort of outside help to sort of liberate them from that power. That's, That's what happens in addiction. Now this is the context for slavery uh, when Jesus brings it up. And when he talks about slavery to sin, we should be thinking about slavery to sin in the same ways that we think about slavery in other senses like I just talked about. That's what we should be thinking about what slavery to sin looks like. Now Jewish people knew a lot about slavery too. This is actually a part of their national heritage that they had been the Exodus people. That they had been themselves slaves for 400 years to the the greatest empire in the world at the time, Egypt. And that their God had had set them free powerfully, had liberated them from their bondage, had brought them into their own land to make them a free people who would worship God, who would no longer be masters, mastered by anybody else. And they had this built into their uh, yearly calendar. They had the passover celebration every year where they celebrated their liberation from bondage Um, we could think of it like their independence day or probably more accurately their juneteenth right this day that they remembered who that who they were who they were at that time and who they are now that's something that to be an israelite was to have this as part of your heritage To, to believe that you are a free person that is that is what they believe And so Jesus tells them in verses 31 and 32 that if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now to Jewish ears, to hear Jesus say this, what they're actually hearing him say is to be my disciple is to be a part of a new exodus, meaning that if you're not my disciple, you're a slave to something. Now, of course, for the reasons we just talked about, this is, this is crazy talk to a person who is Jewish, like Jesus, right? They would look at Jesus as a total lunatic for saying something like this. And this is their response in verse 33, these Pharisees, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and we have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? So so we see how big this identity piece is to them. Even for Jesus to hint at the fact that they're not free is for them deep inside of their hearts, deep inside of that identity that they have to respond in a way that is like, this makes no sense. You are a crazy person. We are already free because we are Abraham's descendants. And Abraham is, is is the people that God chose to set apart to be a great nation who were slaves for a time but were set free magnificently in fulfillment of these promises given. To Abraham. And and so, um, and so like we, we don't get this, right? This idea that like, to, to have in our hearts this idea that like we were once slaves and we were set free, many people in America don't have that identity. Now there are, of course there are many people who do and we have been talking a lot about that as a nation but there are many of us who don't get this idea of a, of a national identity that we take on because of something that happened in our past. The way we think of identity today our, our, our national identity as Americans is that we actually have no identity, that we are free to choose our identity and to, to make it whatever we want, to discover it, to create our own, but for Israelites, they had this God-given identity that they believed that every Jew was a part of, that they were Abraham's uh, seed, Abraham's people, and that they had been set free. So that's what they're referring to here, is this this great national identity that they have, and and Jesus is offending them by sort of uh, brushing up against that. So Jesus responds to them in verse 37 and 38, and he says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you that what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your Father. So this is subtle but important. So he says something at the beginning. He was like, yeah, I know that you like genealogically descend from Abraham. Okay? That's true. I'm not going to dispute that fact. That is true. You, you can trace your lineage back to the man Abraham. But the fact that you're looking uh, for a way to kill me proves that in the more meaningful sense that you are not truly Abraham's heritage. You are truly not Abraham's descendants in the way that matters most. Instead, you have, a, uh, you have a different father that you come from. And it's not Abraham. It's not Abraham. And he, he continues in verse uh, 43 and 44. And he says, why is my language not clear to you? Why is the, all the stuff that I've been saying now, but for the whole book of John, why is this stuff so incomprehensible to you? Why, do you, did, why, why can you not understand it? The reason is that you are unable to hear what I say because you belong to your father, the devil, and you carry out your father's desires. You are like a slave, not knowing that you're, in, you're stuck in something that is slavery. You don't even realize the fact that something else is going on here. And you're proving that by rejecting what what I'm saying when I come and for actually plotting to kill me. And in your plotting to kill me. You're showing that your father uh, is actually the devil. He continues in verse 44 and 45. He was a murderer from the beginning. This is the devil. Not holding to the truth for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. So, so, Here's what Jesus is saying. Let me just really unpack all this, right? When we bring this idea of slavery and we bring this idea of the devil in now and being children of the devil, that's what he's calling them. When we think about that way. That's like sounds super offensive, today and then, right? So you're a child of the devil. That's what Jesus is saying. Clearly, they're gonna be upset by this, but let's unpack what he's saying and why that matters. The, the desires of the devil are denial of truth, of privation of life for people, and, and, and to twist the truth in destruction. And Jesus says, resistance to me is, 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 is a result of deception by your father, by your slave master, this sort of allergy to the truth. And here we see another piece of slavery that is, that is insidious, that, is, that shows its pure evilness, is that it's not just restriction, at least not in the sense that Jesus is where Jesus is talking here. It's not just restrictions, not just keeping you from doing what you would want to do. It actually means being uh, put to the work of your captor, actually having to go do the evil work of the one who is keeping you in slavery. Now we see this in times in history for actual slaves. In the Civil War, uh, many slaves were put to work for the Confederacy, uh, building weapons that would be used to fight to keep them slaves. Uh, we saw that there are actually regiments uh, 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 of black soldiers who went out and fought for the Confederacy as slaves. Um, the slaves were, were the ones who were feeding these soldiers who were going out to fight to make sure that they stayed slaves. When you think about it, it's really twisted, right? But this is what it means to be in slavery, is to be put towards the work of the one who keeps you in slavery. And this happens to uh, people when they're slaves to sin as well. Um, The theologian Phil Ziegler says, to be lorded over by the powers of sin and death that, that are in opposition to God is not simply to suffer their oppression externally, though it certainly involves that. More than that, it means having been conscripted into their service. And so when when people reject the truth of the gospel, and when people do the types of things that we see the devil doing, marginalizing, oppressing, uh, hurting people, doing the stuff that the devil loves to see happen, we find that the reason they do that is because they're being put to work unknowingly for the work of the, the one who keeps them in captivity to slavery. And so people just are taught to act like their father has taught them. Now for some that means actually doing slavery and racism and and this is why slavery and racism exists in our world today. Uh, uh, for some it means uh, lusting for greed and for power at the expense of all others, for some it means bending the truth to maybe get ahead in some way, Uh, for some it means sexual conquest, for some it means narcissistic love of self, Uh, for some it means uh, revenge and perpetuating cycles of violence and and, and death and and evil in the world, Uh, for some it means rejecting the truth through just apathy or, or ignorance, right? Cho- chosen ignorance. This is ways in which slavery to sin uh, works itself out. All the while detecting no inconsistencies in this, their slavery. All the while being made to feel that their slavery is right and normal and a good thing to, to be lived out. And so to go back what Jesus says at the beginning in verses 34 and 36, very truly I tell you, Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. The remedy is for God to send a liberator, someone to come and to set them free, just like He did with Israel and the Exodus to come and to smash the evil empire, to set his people free uh, through, through power and through love and through justice and for mercy, and, and to, to lead them out from that. And, 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 and so, so Jesus is the one who comes and sets us free. Jesus is the one who, who, who sets us free, who, takes, who, who points out to us that we are in a slavery. Just like an intervention, right? An intervention for someone who's in addiction. Jesus comes to us, shows us our slavery, and then sets us truly free from that. And if we are in Christ, we are free from sin. And that is the joy of what uh, Jesus is talking about here in the gospel. And this is the joy that we have as Christians. And so, for us, our application today, or our first point of application from this is to be uh, taking on the identity of a free person, to really think of ourselves as people who have been set free from something, and to, to put that into our identity and to live it out consistently. Now, remember, evil wants to make you think that slavery is better. Just like the snake in the garden comes to Adam and Eve and says, oh, if you eat this fruit, like... God, it's not going to be that bad. It's actually going to be really good if you eat this fruit. Like, this is actually better. That's what, that's what it's going to be like for us is to sort of try to bring us back into slavery once we've been set free to say, no, this is actually going to be better for you in some way. And there's, I think there's two ways in which we're sort, of, uh, uh, we're sort of sold a bill of false goods, a sort of pseudo-freedom that gets given to us today, specifically in our culture, I think, that we might think is freedom, but is actually still slavery. The first one is this sort of, I think, uh, this sort of like uh, uh, freedom that has to be enforced on other people in order for it to be real. All right, And we, we, I think we've seen some examples of this in this pandemic where a lot of people can't handle just wearing a mask out in public to help keep other people safe. right? Or, or, um, or, or, or doing things like feeling constricted and feeling, no, the only response I have is to sort of enforce my freedom onto everybody else. It's better for me to sort of tell, make sure other people know that I'm free. Uh, we also see this on display today in how a lot of people view sexuality. Uh, if I'm free, uh, I, or I'm free, and I hold the view that if you tell me what to do with my body, uh, that that that's wrong, and now I need to go out and like fight anyone who's going to tell me what to do with my freedom, so we sort of have this view of freedom that we have to like tell everyone else who who you know go and force it on everybody else, and I would actually say that you end up still being chained up to this sort of never-ending conquest of sort of always needing to enforce your freedom to the ends of the earth, trying to make sure everyone knows that you're free, and you can do whatever the heck you want. Some people are chained up in that, and it's not really freedom, but they think it is. Another one, and this is one that is, 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 is subtle, um, but um, keeps us still in slavery a lot of times, is, is this sort of like false freedom that we have that actually ends up overwhelming us. Like, we live in a country with so many options everywhere right we we go to the store and go to the cookie aisle and there's like a hundred brands of cookies and who's has ever felt sort of like paralyzed by freedom before have you ever felt that before where you like have so many things out there to choose from that you actually end up feeling paralyzed by anxiety and you feel like you're actually kind of chained up by that anxiety by all that freedom now I think sometimes we confuse freedom with options and we just think if we create more and more and more options for people, that contributes to freedom, but it actually ends up enslaving us sometimes in anxiety and and freedom. So we can't sort of have these two false views of freedom. I think it's important that we actually view freedom in the biblical way because we will end up back in slavery in some sense if we have these false views of freedom. So it's it's so important that we understand the sort of uh, biblical ideal of what freedom looks like. Now, um, freedom is not just an absence of obligation. It is that, I think, in the biblical sense. But there is another sense in which biblical freedom carries a sort of responsibility or a sort of vocation to it. I think that's a better word for it, a calling. When you've been set free, God has also given you a calling to live in these purposes that give life now, to live out a certain way of following Jesus that bestows on the one who lives it out a true life that that comes through following him This is the same with Israel, when they're set free from slavery, they're set free with a purpose to go and to worship God and to be his special possession in the world, to bless the world, to make the world a better place. And we have that as well, to live true life out and to call others to live that life out as well, as we follow Jesus, as we live free from sin, but uh, living with a new king who gives us uh, purposes for life in the world. And when we talk about God's purposes, there's a, there's a lot of ways we could take this, but I think one that really, uh, really is important for us to talk about this today and actually ties us back into the idea of Abraham and his seed, which we find in, in, in John here, is that Abraham's true uh, multi-ethnic family, the, the group of people who have been set free from many different ethnicities from all races on earth, proves that God has the power to liberate liberate. And we live as a united people. I'm going to explain this here in a second. But when when we live as a united group of people within the church, we are showing God's power to liberate. That's actually what we find in the Apostle Paul. So Paul says in uh, Galatians Uh, 3. Being Abraham's seed, being Abraham's descendant. Remember I talked about this earlier where Jesus kind of points out to them that just being Abraham's physical descendant is not being Abraham's child in a meaningful sense. Now this is a new idea and it's one that Jesus doesn't really develop in the passage, but Paul develops in great detail in his letters. And what Paul is saying here is that to be Abraham's seed means to belong to Christ, to have been set free from slavery. And people from all genealogies, from from all heritages, from all races, make up this group of free people. So to be Abraham's seed is to be a part of this multi-ethnic family that cuts across traditional boundaries in the world, that cuts across socioeconomic boundaries in the world, and cuts across gender boundaries in the world, to come together and to be this free group of people. And we see that in the passage, these these main social categories, racial lines, Jew and Gentile, uh, slave and free, which would also include socioeconomic status, because uh, obviously slaves in that society are at the the bottom end of, of of society, and then also male and female. Unity is, is brought together. Now, unity is not a cheap thing. I think there's a sense for some people that, that reads passages like this and just thinks, cool, we're all one, we shouldn't fight, and we don't need to, like... Um, do much beyond that or we don't need to reckon with the ways in which maybe some people in the church who are of one ethnicity have still contributed to the harm of another group with ethnicity but actually unity is not comes uh, comes it, it takes work to, to have real unity and so while we're united in christ and christ does the work of that it's our job to sort of live that out as free people thoughtfully and prayerfully with repentance, with confession, with forgiveness, with with seeking to really understand those of us in in the family of God who maybe come from a different perspective than us, to really seek to understand them so we can live out a a, a real, true, and deep unity. And when we, now when we do this, okay, now when we do this, it's not just for our benefit, It's it's actually for the benefit of proving God's power in liberation, to prove that there's actually teeth behind it, to sort of give a a cosmic significance to what God has done and to even the church. And Paul says this in Ephesians 3, 6 and 10. Can you move move that forward for me, Alex? So in Ephesians 3, 6 and 10, Paul says this, The mystery, he's talking about a mystery that's been revealed to the church, is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. So this is talking about the sort of uh, ethnic boundaries that used to be in place for God's people, who are the Jews, have actually been cut away. And Gentiles, which is just anyone who's not a Jew, are brought together with Jews, okay? And so this means racially we're all together, we're one. The, the, The Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise of Christ Jesus. And so the reason that God had done this to bring this group of people together was so, he says this in verse 10, his intent was that now through the church, through this gathered group of people who have come together in in unity, The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. And the powers and the authorities there is is Paul's word for talking about spiritual forces that are against God in the world. Of course, which the devil is the chief of, right? So we're connecting back to what Jesus is saying in the book of John here. Here's what Paul's saying, okay. Really think about this. It's an explosive concept when you think about it. But when the church comes together in unity and proves that it has been liberated from the sort of uh, Uh, ways in which we categorize people in the world through race or socioeconomic status or gender or whatever other ways that we tend to look down on other people and separate ourselves out. When the church comes together in true unity, we are showing that we have been set free from sin and that we we, we are God's trophy to the ones who had kept us in bondage previously that the gospel works and that we are actually set free from sin. We prove that through our unity, through being a one group of people that love each other and, and seek out true unity as a church. When we do that, there is a cosmic significance that is attached to that that we don't think about many times. When we come together as a church, I think we do this really well at Res City, you guys, by the way. I think we have a really good community. We have good unity as a church. I want to commend you for that. Woo-hoo. Yeah. Okay. Liz was doing that over there. So, um, <laughs> um, so, when we do this, you guys, it's not just us getting along and having fun, okay? It is that, but but it's much more than that. And I think we need to have that mindset. When we are together as a, as a church body and when we find unity with other churches too, it's not just us at Res City. When we find unity with other churches too, we are doing something that has cosmic significance and that even though we may not understand it is proving to our former masters that god's gospel has worked and it's like it's like a trophy parade going through the heart of the downtown minneapolis when the vikings finally win a super bowl you know showing the rest of the world that the vikings actually can win something right that's what we're doing to the powers and the authorities to the devil to our former slave masters that god's gospel works and we prove that when we come together in unity. That's the explosive sort of context for what Paul is talking about here. So that means that us as, as Christians, we need to come together with other Christians. We need to fight for unity. Even if it's hard, even if, even if there are challenges, even if confession and repentance have to be a part of that in some way. That's our calling. And when we do that, when we do that, there is, is, is so much to it. So let's fight for that as a church rest city. Let's seek to be a people that live out our freedom by coming together in unity to to show the powers and the authorities in the world that they do not still own us, but we are instead set free from sin. I'm gonna pray to close us and we're gonna close with a time of worship and reflection. Lord, we thank you. That you came to earth, that you died on the cross and rose again so that we may be set free from sin and death. That it may no longer have a stranglehold over us that causes us to divide and to fight and, and, to, and to war with one another. But instead brings us together in unity which shows a power of your gospel to liberate in the world. That is a real true manifestation of your power in the whole world as to who you are and as to what the power of the gospel is, God. We thank you that you do this and we thank you that our interactions together, even if they seem as normal as possible, actually carry with them a weight and a significance that we can't truly fathom. I pray that today, Lord, you would just reveal to us, even in a small measure, whether we're worshiping here in person or whether we're worshiping at home, Lord, that us together, gathered as a church, even if we're separated perhaps uh, by, um, by some distance this morning, we are still living out a unity that carries with it a weight that it transcends anything we could understand. Just give us a glimpse, even a glimpse of that today, Lord, and give us a reminder of, of what it means to be set free from sin, God. Um, help us to, to live in that freedom today, to not be trapped by false freedoms that actually uh, bring us back into a form of slavery, Lord, without us realizing it, but instead I pray that we would live out uh, this true freedom in your son Jesus who has set us free. We pray this in the name of Jesus, amen.